following is a presentation of Cornerstone Bible Church in Virginia Beach. For more information on Cornerstone, as well as additional sermon downloads, please visit cbcvirginia.com. God, we thank you for bringing us together tonight. You are a good God, a gracious God, and so we gather to talk about this subject understand that this subject is something that's close to your heart. Um, We understand as your people that when we ourselves have been adopted, you took us and chose us as enemies and yet welcomed us in and called us your friends. Um, And so out of that understanding, God, may there be a true desire to know that um, we can in this very tangible way allow the gospel and its ramifications to play out in our lives and be seen as a witness uh, to those around us that need to hear as well. So uh, we ask that this would be a good time tonight, a a profitable, an encouraging, and an informative time, and then um, may we leave here really asking God for you to teach us and prod us through your spirit, um, tell us what we need to do. We don't want to be a church that listens, um, but doesn't do, or likes to listen to things and do these things just so we can kind of pat ourselves on the back and say, yeah, we did the adoption part. Um, May we not be that church, God. May we be a church that um, lives in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ and says, what do we do with this? Um, And so we are thankful for that. So thank you, God. All right, Allison, come on up. Um, we're kind of, as you kind of see, we are all kind of family, so feel free to just jump right in with us and talk freely. And uh, you guys, uh, give her some good questions, too. And uh, we really appreciate you guys.
children are between 10 and 19 years old that are in the foster care system. So if you are going to be adopting from foster care, most of these children are going to be older. And that is because the state allows um, a certain amount of time as a state foster parent um, to be doing the caseworking for the family to figure things out, um, get their lives together, get whatever they need together so that they can get their children into the foster system. The state, Virginia, allows 24 months of caseworking. So while that is going on, the child is going to be in the foster care system. Um, if the child is unable to go back home, the state will then allow a certain amount of time for children to be placed with the relative of the foster parent. At that point, if a relative is not able to be found or um, there becomes a barrier for that child to be joined, they are put up for board adoption. So that's why most of these waiting children are older. Because that process takes a really long time. Um, so they, they're already older when they come to the foster care system. The average wait time for a child in foster care to be adopted is three years. Um, that's just because that's the time to even wait longer for somebody to actually get them. So of the 1,300 children, if um, they are not adopted within that three-year waiting period, over 250 of them will age out. And when I say age out, I mean they will hit that 19-year-old mark and they will leave the foster care system. So leave the foster care system and leave their family for um, their baby. So the state does provide different things to help the child with school or things like that, but they can't just rely on that because they have to work how many um, homeless um, potential child foster care families um, have to go through for this process. Um, one in three will become homeless by 2025. And you know that's just because we all need somebody older who's going to be that support system. And if they don't have that, how many questions that they have, they don't have a mom or a dad to call and say, hey, uh, how do you write a check? How do you balance a checkbook? How do I apply for a loan? rebellious already, they're 19 years of age, and, you know, they don't want to be adopted. They're done. They're done with the system. They don't need, they don't need a family, and a lot of them will maybe tell you that, um, but that's also a defense mechanism that they use. They may have gone through many of foster homes in the last eight years or so, and they may just put that up as a, as a front. You know, I don't want to be adopted because I've tried to be adopted before, and it didn't work, so you're going to lose me too. fees, those are all covered by the state. So anything that you are actually going to be covering is, is that sound? Okay. 
there are a lot of families that wait like really long amounts of time for it is case by case basis, but on average in Scottsdale for an adoption, you're going to be waiting between 15 and 18 months. And I say it as a case by case basis because it's really going to depend on your family and what you have individually So um, you know, maybe just one thing, if you're looking for a younger child, you're going to wait until they're 18. You know, very close off on the race or ethnicity or the age of the child, you're going to be waiting a little bit longer. And that's kind of the same with all adoptions. You know, if you, the more you narrow down what you're looking for, the longer you're going to have to wait. Your family needs to be perfect. That is the only thing. On the record, you know, we're scrutinizing everything, and we're only going to place your children in this family perfectly. And it's not true for any type of adoption. Um, you know, we really want to place these children because they need a home. And what we're looking for in the family is somebody who can protect them. These children in foster care are the heart of the family. And that is one of the basic needs of a child. And so what we're looking for is someone who can help you determine if your children have anything to do with your income, um, what your family looks like, if you're a single family or if you're a married family or something. Um, it doesn't matter. We're just looking for someone who can be, who's going to be a good match. in the foster care system for eight years waiting for her child. She's been adopted. So this is a little information on the family side of adoption as well as the foster care side.
overwhelmed with being tired and how amazing it was. We loved her room, and she couldn't wait. Can I show you? Can I show you my room? Can I show you? Finally, we got to go back into her parents' room, which is kind of special for me to see. Um, but I realized when I was leaving that she was so excited to show us her room because that was the first time she had her room. She had been in foster care for eight years before she was adopted. She had been in between Sandy and Phyllis, one and four, and then she was in foster care. So she never had something that was hers. This is the first time she's had her space, like her room, her bunk. And it was heartbreaking, really, to see you know, how much that really meant to her. like more information um, about Dear Kids, you can um, you can look at our website. I also have information on the app. I'd love to answer any questions that you guys may have. Um, we're going to take a few and then we're going to take them for a little break for a short period of time. But I can continue answering any questions later or just keep answering any questions that you guys have. Also, just to let you guys know, we have had some new events. Uh, you know adoption isn't for everybody. But believe that everybody can be saved. A hundred percent of us can do our utmost to help someone who is saved and needs to be saved. So we're our, we are providing events in the area. Um, Lynchburg is going to be the first one. Um, that's on April 26th, which is next <coughs> Thursday. Um, but we actually have one on May 18th, um, 3 o'clock p.m. That's going to be a 5K and a bunch. And that's going to be raising awareness for foster care and adoption in the area because it's important that we have all the agencies there in the, the, our city area that provide foster care adoption to be able to come in contact with all of the agencies that provide this service, as well as some of the families from foster care that have taken it upon their hearts to have a child in their um, space and home. So you'll get to hear firsthand from them how things are going, you know, their side, because it's always different from person to person um, than it is from some families to be a great chance to have um, volunteer if you wanted or participate. We are having our foster care children come to the race, so another opportunity to kind of help out with some of the sponsors that are coming to the race. anything from dealing with some of the trauma that these children have gone through to empathizing with their side and acknowledging that they have been hurt and that they're not having these behaviors and that they're having these experiences and that they want to change and that they're going to be okay and that they're going to, that they don't know how to cope with things that they've been taught how to cope with. So you're going to learn some skills and how to help them and how to deal with these behaviors and experiences and then, you know, how to prepare yourself and your family for everybody it doesn't have to be just that
thanks, Allison, for that talk uh, presentation. Uh, man, if that doesn't uh, evoke any emotions, I don't know what will. Uh, I, along with Greg, that's that's ridiculously sad for kids that that age out that there's there's nothing for them. Um, so just uh, let's start with this next time just in prayer ask that the spirit would just be gracious to us and in our in our talks and in our discussions and our thoughts and uh, might he move us um, as he has and will continue to do to become more uh, like our savior become more changed daily into the image of, of jesus so let's pray lord we love you we thank you because you are good and it is your kind and gracious favor to us first that called us out of darkness into your marvelous light, that awoke our dead, cold, sinful hearts to life and gave us uh, a desire for holiness, redemption, and righteousness. And Lord, we find that all in the person and work of Jesus, our Savior. And so it is by his name, by his blood, by his rule and reign that we come to you your children and we cry out to you as our father for everything so lord i pray that you would um, by your grace continually redeem us sanctify us progress us in uh, our faith as we combat our unbelief and uh, lord that you would just increase our horizons and increase our influence and let the kingdom of jesus christ go forth here Hampton Roads, and Lord, might you use us as people, might you use us as your children, might you use us as vessels to carry this good news to a world that is completely broken, to people whose lives are, are completely upside down, where the hurts are fathomable, the scars and the wounds are, are indescribable. Lord, the, the rejection, the abandonment, the, the anguish that people around us go through, and we uh, might stand as, as the, the bearers of beautiful news, the beautiful news of redemption, of forgiveness, of restoration, of victory, of freedom. And so, Lord, I pray that that would be um, at the forefront of our discussion tonight, and might you be honored and glorified in our lives as we uh, discuss this. So thank you for this opportunity to do this, this forum. Thank you for the people that are here. Uh, just their presence is, is a fact that uh, a desire to be, we desire to be obedient to you, to follow you. So change us from the inside out, Lord, we pray. Amen. All right, I am just uh, was asked to discuss a little bit about adoption from a biblical theological perspective. Um, and really just why this should matter um, and just some practical uh, implications of what we as a church, of what we as redeemed believers, is what we as New Testament Christians um, moving forward in our context. So suburban America, Hampton Roads, Virginia, Virginia Beach, Newport News, Norfolk, Portsmouth, and, and you know, the other towns that surround us. So um, 
basically, I just, I have just titled my uh, discussion "Adoption: A Divine Initiative." Uh, divine initiative, because it is, it is God who does it. Now, like I said this morning, that if 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 you are a child of God, if you have been uh, redeemed and saved from sin, the penalty of power, um, you've been adopted, whether you realize it or not been adopted. The scriptures are very clear, and so we're going to look at a few texts. But I'm going to start off with a quote by uh, the British theologian Alistair McGrath, who states, adoption, quote, adoption is about being wanted. It's about belonging. These are deeply emotive themes which resonate with the cares and concerns of many in our increasingly fractured society. To be adopted is to, in, to, is to be invited into a loving and caring environment. It is, to be, it is about being welcomed, wanted, and invited. Adoption celebrates the privilege of invitation in which the outsider is welcomed into the fold of faith and love. End quote. Um, Really, as you understand adoption in a biblical theological sense, the Old Testament um, does not use the word uh, adoption specifically. Um, But adoption is very much tied into the Old Testament in terms of sonship. Okay, So sonship is going to be a broader, uh, more over-encompassing biblical theological theme. But adoption is very much, um, uh, has been argued a New Testament concept, okay? and particularly Pauline theology. So there's five uses of the word adoption in the New Testament, two in Romans 8, one in Romans 9, one in Galatians 4, the other in Ephesians 1, okay? all Pauline epistles. And we're not going to, due to time, uh, I only have an hour, we are not going to look at all of them, but we will look at the Romans and the Galatians passage, hopefully have time for the Ephesians passage. Like I said, adoption is Paul's basic definition of what it means to be a Christian. Okay? Being a child of God is because of adoption. When, people, when the people of God miss what adoption is about, um, they miss an extremely important, crucial part of not only their own identity, but also their salvation. Okay? So it's, we, we must understand this concept. Um, Russell Moore states this in his book. Um, I'll, I'll throw some resources at you, at you in our break. You're more than welcome to come look at these. Um, but he's a professor at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary who wrote a book um, in 2010, I believe, called Adopted for Life, The Priority of Adoption for Christian Families and Churches. Um, He states this, uh, adoption is not just about couples who want children or who want more children. Adoption is about an entire culture within our church, a culture that sees adoption as part of our great commission mandate and as a sign of the gospel itself. So, folks, if we don't view adoption the way that God views adoption, you're going to have a harder time putting the gospel, applying the gospel, and putting the pieces of your own faith journey, your own story, and how it fits into the overall story of God's story. You're going to have a more difficult time with that if you don't understand uh, the scriptures. So adoption, as I said this morning, is about Jesus. It's about Jesus Christ. Um, And adoption, it's, it's about his gospel. 
what's interesting to me, I don't know if it's uh, sad or whatnot, but Christians in circles, churches, evangelical, conservative evangelical Christians, we love to talk about the hot button topics within society, abortion, homosexuality, all of these well, we all often, Christians often do this to the exclusion of caring, actually caring and loving the people around them that are in need, that have major hurts, and have become, quote-unquote, outcasts of society. Okay? Most of these 19-year-old kids, I bet you if you walked out on the street, they would be considered in today's society by most average Americans as downtrodden, outcast, this kind of fringe of society. But they're human beings, they're people. And what are we as a church doing about it? What are we as a church doing about it? Without theology, adoption merely becomes charity. It becomes social thing to do. Not that those things are bad. It becomes humanitarian. Just at that. Now, on the flip side of that, without missiology or people on mission and understanding the Great Commission mandate, without missiology, adoption becomes merely a metaphor. Impersonal, impersonal, and something other. But adoption has to start here. Our understanding has to start here. It has to start with theology. It has to start with God being the divine initiator. Okay? Um, two sides of that coin. I get tired of hearing Christians um, diss on Hollywood as far as you know, folks like Angelina Jolie who adopt kids because they're just doing it for XYZ reasons, whatever. But Christians say that kind of stuff, and they're not willing to take the risks. They're not willing to make the sacrifices. They're not willing to set aside their own comforts to actually go to a foreign country, adopt a child, give them your name, and give them everything <laughs> as their own. Okay? So, yeah, people might have ulterior motives, but we as Christians should be the, fo- the biggest supporters the, the people that are showing up at these type of uh, events, the ones that are throwing the adoption welcome home parties, because we truly understand what it means, as McGrath says, to celebrate the privilege of a divine invitation as an outsider welcomed in. Right? Enemies of the cross, Darkness, walking in darkness, now we've been brought into light. All of the imagery that the Bible uses is because of adoption, right? One caveat, don't confuse adoption. We cannot confuse adoption with justification. Justification is a huge, huge piece in Pauline theology, a huge piece as in, in, in every believer's theology, okay? God declaring righteousness upon a person. Okay, righteousness, the idea of propitiation, um, cannot be confused. Although justification is primary, i.e. I. that it precludes adoption, 
it is in no way more important or superior to an object. Okay? You can't have one without the other. You can't have one without the other. Adoption is a quote, this is a, from theologian John Murray, is an act of God's grace different, distinct from, and additional to justification. Justification introduces the believer into the society of the righteous, whereas adoption introduces the believer into the society of God's family, okay? So don't get the two confused, but you can't have one without the other, according to the scripture, all right? Um, As I said earlier, if adoption is about anything, it is about belonging, about belonging. To be a child of God is to be adopted. If we don't understand how desperate we were and how desperate we are, we will never fully appreciate the doctrine of adoption. And I think that's true for the gospel. The minute I think I have my stuff together as a Christian, the minute I, I, I discredit God's sanctifying work in my life, and I've got it, is the day that I misunderstand the gospel. When I just view the gospel as I'm saved, I accepted Jesus in my heart, and I move from that, rather than allowing the gospel to move me forward in sanctification, is the day we misunderstand the gospel, and the day you misunderstand yourself. Um, so we, we, must, we must understand, we must grasp this. Adoption is not static, however, just like your salvation is not static. Sonship, being an heir, the inheritance, the riches that the heavens have to offer is not static, okay? Um, But there's a trajectory. From the outset, sonship indicates a missionary and evangelical thrust of taking that good news forward, of propelling the mission of God and making disciples. What a more practical, tangible way to take an apprentice, a disciple, and take them day by day through life, teach them the ways of God and Jesus, than to actually parent somebody, right? What an amazing opportunity. What an amazing way. Um, And again, you've heard this from... The, the leadership here at Cornerstone. Parenting is discipleship. It's where it starts. Don't think that you can, you know, and this is, resonates for, for those that are of us that are missional community group leaders. Don't think that you can actually have any effect upon others or any type of discipleship making with other people if you can't even do it in your own family. Don't try it outside, okay, if your family's not doing it already. Um, so, kind of discuss the definition of adoption, what it is, what it isn't. The purpose, what is adoption's purpose? Um, kind of like uh, Chris's comment or question regarding uh, Bethany Christian Services' purpose. But what is adoption's purpose? Then is, and I'm going to quote um, another theologian. He says, the purpose of adoption is to convince the justified believer, convince you that they have assurance for the last judgment. Okay? So adoption, like I said, has this eschatological thrust. 
this futuristic thrust. It's very present reality, but it doesn't just stay static. It is for the end times. And you read the scriptures, and you particularly read the adoption passages, and they talk a ton about life as a believer and suffering. It's inescapable. Inescapable. Um, I can I can tell you story after story of people here in this room in our church family who are suffering. Grief, loss of a loved one. You talk about suffering, grief will teach you a whole new dimension about suffering. Trying to wrap your hands around life and death, death and dying, it'll teach you a lot. Those that have had miscarriages, those that have lost children, parents, you know what it's like, right? All the psychological grief that we go through, the dynamics of family, right? How many of us come from absolutely zero problems with family, right? Who are the ones that create the most problems in life, right? It's your family. There's all the dynamics and Christmas and holidays, and it's just like, oh, your family, Why? Why is that? Why is that? And so um, it's not without its messiness. So um, there is this, this futuristic thrust, but adoption's purpose is to convince you. Okay? You're going to see that in the adoption text, there's a lot of talk about election, about predestination, about the foreknowledge of God, that he's got it, okay? That you have to believe that God has it from start to finish. And adoption falls in that process. Um, so though Christians are part of God's family, it does not mean they are exempt from a life of struggle and sufferings that are intrinsic to the life of the believer. Rather, um, possessing the spirit is used synonymously as being a child of God and vice versa. So being a child of God, you have the spirit, and the spirit and adoption are both eschatological blessings, okay? futuristic beyond this life, okay? You ever talk about hope? You ever know what hope is? It's longing for something that you can't touch or see, right? But you believe, you believe that in the future, God wins. That in the future, everything's gonna be okay. Even though my life is just absolute chaos, my heart, my feelings, my emotions, hope, that eschatological belief that God is in control and his spirit moves us moves us, and we groan. We're going to read that in, in Romans 8. Okay. So in this discussion, I don't, what I don't want you to come away with is that everyone should adopt. Okay? I'm not going to say that at all. I'm going to say actually the opposite. Not everyone should adopt. But, but everyone should participate in adoption. If you're a child of God, you should be actively participating. And we'll discuss kind of some of the inner, inner workings. Any questions up to this point? I'm just kind of breezing through this part because we don't have a lot of time. But I will take questions if you guys have some regarding anything else. The purpose of adoption is to convince the justified believer that they have assurance for the last judgment. 
That was by Doug Moo in his commentary in Romans. Right here. Any other questions? All right, let's jump in. I try not to sound, um, I guess, negative in this in this presentation as far as the obstacles. But when I think of adoption personally, okay, and this is coming from a kid who was adopted at a young age, who had a biological older brother adopted into the same family. I grew up in um, non non Asian community, non Asian family, non Asian life. Okay. Um, about the only equation is I worked in cornfields, not rice fields. So that's about it, okay? That's about it. Uh, but uh, there are a lot of obstacles in adoption. And as a church, we have to overcome these, okay? A lot of them are self-inflicted, but some of them are cultural, societal, all that. We're going to discuss them. I'm going to take them kind of as obstacles because that's what comes up in my mind. When Katie and I talked about adoption before we had a gentry, before we had gentry, had a gentry, right? Before we had a child, our first child. Wow, I better take a drink after that. We had a lot of questions. When I still think of it, it's the questions and the obstacles that come up. The guy in the videos is just like, what's holding you back? What's holding you back from doing it? Okay, so this is... I don't mean to sound negative, but that's how I'm going to go through tonight is we're going to talk about obstacles and how the Bible, how the scriptures, how the, how, how the spirit can help us overcome these things um, and just hopefully give you some, some food for thought. One of the first um, obstacles that we must overcome as a church is when we view adoption as purely physical. Okay? What I mean by that is adoption by and large, in my experience and in talking with people in society, adoption is viewed as like the third, fourth option, okay? Sometimes even farther down the list. It's a way to get the kid you can never have, right? That's, let's be honest. Couples that have struggled with infertility, like, you know, that's what's thrown at them. That's what's thrown at them. And as a church, we're doing a horrible job, in my opinion, a horrible job of taking care of those that are struggling with barrenness. You talk to family, you talk to couples, you talk to people that go through infertility and the trauma, the grief, the process, the, just the, the day-to-day is very, very difficult. But as a society, we like to, God's in control, right? Those, those are some things that we need, we need to do a better, a better uh, job of as a church. Um, another way it's viewed as, you know, just purely physical is just, it's, it's a way to have more kids than you already have, right? What an easier way not having to go through this. Um, it's another way is to combat Planned Parenthood, you know? Uh, people see, see it as a, as a political move or what, they're just, the, the lists go on and on and on. I'm here to, just to tell you, as you already know, that adoption is a spiritual war. Okay? People... 250 every three years in just our state, our commonwealth, get dumped into the streets of society with no one giving a rip about them. No family to go home to, 
no Christmas. Like, if that doesn't move you, if that doesn't stir you, there's something wrong. Like, that, that just, that's horrible. That's horrible. We got to do a better job of taking care of that. Adoption is a spiritual battle. The, uh, Russell Moore states, the protection of children isn't charity. It isn't part of a political program fitting somewhere between tax cuts and gun rights or between carbon emission caps and na national service corps. No, it's spiritual warfare. We have to see it as such. We have to see it as such. Number two is, um, and I guess, honestly, I'm probably being a little bit more gracious, but it's the, another obstacle that the church wishes to overcome is the, the, the disservice that the church the American church has done in the way that we do church. Okay. Consumerism rages in the American church, if you can't tell by now. It's about business models. It's about budgets. It's about building bigger buildings, producing bigger programs, all of this in the name of Christianity. And we're not doing, we're not caring for the orphans and the widows. Okay. Um, there's a minimal sense of communal identity and responsibility for fellow image bearers. Okay? And this is what kills me about like some of the Hollywood people. They even understand what it's like on a humanity level created in the image of God, but just a person level, sometimes better than a lot of Christians sitting in our pews today. That's, that's horrible. Like We should be the ones. That's us because we got... You know, we got the best news. We got the, we got the greatest gift. We have the pearl of greatest price. Um, and, and, and so anytime that I see the world doing humanitarian efforts, like that's common grace. Like that's awesome. More to you. So there's a minimal sense of communal identity and responsibility for fellow image bearers that believe it, believers are often unaware or indifferent to the needs, hurts, and injustices around us. Instead, the American church is more interested in, build, like I said, uh, building bigger buildings, creating better programs, than actually doing more stuff for one another, loving and caring one another. The need, the need that she pre Allison presented tonight is just alarming. Um, 1,300 kids is just, uh, that's crazy. Times that by 50. Just take 1,000, okay? Maybe Virginia's on the higher end. Take 1,000 times 50 states in our country. We've got, we've got a serious issue, okay? Um, kids are falling through the system, and they're, gonna, they're soon turning adults. Who's going to teach them how to balance their checkbooks? Who's going to teach them how to be upstanding citizens? Who's going to teach them basic ethical, moral decisions, dilemmas. Um, and if the church isn't going to do it, who's teaching them? Because someone's teaching them, right? Someone's teaching them. Uh, quote from this book. We're going to talk a little bit about more what, like, what it is to be a family. But what he more writes, what would it mean, though, if we took the radical notion of being brothers and sisters seriously? Okay? And we're going to talk about what an ideal family looks like. Uh, through the lens of scripture. Um, but what would happen if your church saw an elderly woman no one would ever confuse with cool, on her knees, in front of the church, praying with a body pierced 
15-year-old anorexic girl? Like, what would that look like? What would happen if your church saw a white, millionaire, corporate vice president being mentored, spiritually mentored by a Latino minimum wage earning janitor because both of them know that the janitor is more mature in the things of God? What would that look like? Here's what I think the nub of the whole issue lies. Adoption would become a priority in our church if our churches themselves saw our brotherhood and sisterhood in the church itself rather than in our fleshly identities. For some Christians, maybe for you, it's hard to imagine how an African-American kid um, could love a white, or how an African-American couple could love a white Ukrainian baby, or how a Haitian teenager could call Swedish parents mom and dad. Of course, that's hard to imagine when so many of our churches can't get over differences as trivial as music style, right? (laughs) I mean, that's just so, so compelling. It's extremely compelling to me. So the need is huge. We have to see this as a community of believers in our neighborhoods and in our, our cities, our municipalities, our residents, that there is a need, and we can, we can do that. We can meet that need. Number three, adoption is a second-rate option or substitute for biological birth. There's this massive stigma. It's often, um, even by Christians, because they misunderstand the Old Testament idea of seed and what it means for sonship. Um, But there is this just overwhelming stigma of your kids are somehow better. Like kids from you, your seed, are somehow better. Uh, without getting into the details, it's just not biblical. (laughs) It's just not biblical. We're going to read this in Galatians where it's the people that should have known better, Paul just lambasts because they're so worried about the seed, their actual lineage. Like, that's what matters. And he's saying, "Uh uh-uh. Because of the blood of Christ, There is no difference. You were Gentile, slave or free, man or woman. You're all one in Christ. Galatians 3.28. All right? And so there's this adoption is seen as second choice. Second choice, not first. Okay? We have to overcome that stigma. Do you realize that in adoption... Even though mothers do not experience the sensation of bearing a child in their womb, that they will always bear that child in their heart. Talk to any mom. Talk to Amy after this is done. Talk to any mom who's adopted a child, and there is no difference of that child in their heart. And when I work with families often who bury their kids, God, I pray that our body doesn't have to experience that anytime soon. But maybe some of us will, because we've got a crap load of them. But if we have to bury one of our kids, it isn't anything else that you remember but that feeling in your heart. That is what you remember as a parent, from what I'm told. When biological parents parents lose a child, it is the pain and grief of losing the child in their hearts. 
that is the most difficult. It's always there. That pain never leaves because the child never comes home. The same feelings of pain are experienced by miscarriages, miscarried adoptions, families that go through, latch onto a child, say that child's ours, they own it, and something in the adoption falls through. A miscarried adoption or failed infertility treatments. All those, those, those type of folks, those type of parents experience that same idea. The consequence for viewing adoption as second rate second option or fourth or fifth is exclusion and pain. You just feel excluded, you feel pain. Right? If we view it that way rather than prioritize. Number four, being adopted is often used as a qualifier. It's often used as a qualifier whereas biological is not, right? Oh, she's just adopted. You never hear him say She's just biological, right? Why is that? Why is that? Okay. Well, I think all of us can answer why that is, but is it biblical? She's just adopted. What does that mean? What does that mean? Number four, uh, n- number five, wrong images or ideals of what constitutes a family. Turn with me to Matthew 12, please. Turn with me to Matthew 12. Verse 46 through 50. Jesus is doing remarkable things um, in this chapter. Healing stating that he is the Lord of the Sabbath, blowing people's minds. Talks about, you know, the blasphemy, uh, the Holy Spirit, and all of those texts surrounding that. And then we get to chapter four, or verse 46 in chapter 12 of Matthew, and it says, While he was speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking him to eat. His own mother and brothers are outside. They can't get to him because the crowds are just thronging around him. The house is packed that he's in. And he replied to the man who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, here are my mother and brothers. Whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my mother, is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus completely tips over upside down the whole concept of what a family is now in the New Covenant. Radically redefines what is family. Mike Brain states this, in one fell swoop, Jesus overturned everything they thought they knew about family. His disciples were just as roadies or work associates. They were his family. For Jesus, making disciples was about building a family. That's why we have our missional community groups. They are Designed at the core to be family. This is where church, this is where family happens. In one sentence, Jesus completely redefines what family is, how it works, and what it's for. Okay? What it's for. Adoption, number six, is only for white, 
married, childless couples, an obstacle that we must overcome. I, this is, uh, yeah, talked on a little bit that it, you know, adoption is often viewed as just because for couples you can't have it, but we've got to overcome this. Because what constitutes a family in Jesus' mind? What makes up a family? Who are my brothers and my sisters? Who's my brother and my mother? These people, disciples, building a family, right? That's what adoption is. It's about building disciples for the kingdom of Jesus. And we get to do that in just everyday life life-touching life as a family. What do we do with people that adopt for just humanitarian reasons only, societal reasons only? Do we support them? Do we avoid them? What about homosexual couples? Gays, lesbians, across the street, they adopt a child. You celebrate with them? burn their front porch like what what are we doing as believers what are we conveying what are we conveying to the society at large that our life is good news (laughs) is our life good news is our gospel really that great i hope so i hope so because it is amazing i think we can come around these types of people Support them, love them, serve them, minister to them, give them resources to further the kingdom of God and demonstrate that our life isn't just here. It's futuristic. It's eschatological. It's when the heavens open up, right? And everything here will be burnt up. (laughs) Everything here will be burnt up. So what constitutes a family? Is it just white, married, childless couples? Couples who want more kids that can't? We got to think bigger than this, folks. I have to. Man, when I heard Amy adopted little Samuel, like I was like, that's so cool. That's so cool. Because not only does he, this little boy have his Abba father, but he has a whole slew of dudes who want to be this little man's father. Because Jesus was our ultimate father. Like, that's, that's cool. That's what adoption is about, is it not? I love when I take my kids over to Chris's house or when Isaac's house. Like, those guys are, like, on my boys. Like, get off the couch. Stop being loud. Like, it, we know that it takes a village, and we're going to talk about this. It takes a village to raise a child, does it not? And man, I love when I hear of people just dropping kids off at other people's houses in their missional community. Matt and Rachel, not to point you guys out, but you guys just do a great job of that. You're a childless couple, you're young, you're, you're early married, you're having fun. You don't need to watch other people's kids, but you do. You do it to serve them. You do it for the betterment of their marriage, for the betterment of their families, the betterment of their lives. And you just serve people. Like, that's what it's about. That's what this family idea is about and we have to overcome the stigma that adoption is just for people who can't have kids anymore like that it just we've got to do a better job of that 
um, adoption evokes, we have to be cautious in that we, in thinking that adoption evokes immediate love or overwhelming emotions, okay? Rob Hall, Rob and Julie. His first three months with their first daughter, Brandy, he said were some of the hardest times of his life because his child wouldn't stop screaming. He said, I loved her, but I hated her at the same time. Like, it was just these, this mix mash of emotions, like, just all of that together. So just because, like, there's not the warm fuzzies in adoption, it's okay, okay? A lot of biological parents go through the same thing. So you, you got to think about it this way. The emotional and physical bonding may take time, and that's fine, totally fine. Think about this. Adopted children are twice born. They're born once through, through natural means, and they're born again through nurturing means. They're not really someone's kid until they're actually nurtured, right? We're not really God's kids until he comes into our life and explodes in our hearts and realizes our need for a savior and someone greater. And we call it what? Regeneration, rebirth, second life, old creation has gone away, new is here. Adopted kids go through the same thing. They attempt to, when, when they attempt to answer the questions, who am I, adopted kids, there's a lot more obstacles. They possess the genetic traits of their biological parents, but yet they have the heart, the nurture, the design of their adopted parents. And so to make answer that questions of who am I as a 13-year-old kid is kind of difficult. I struggled with it. I struggled with it. So that whole idea of abandonment, too, that goes into that. No one wanted me. My brother and I sat in an orphanage for a year. No one wanted us. Unfit. Maybe we were bastard children. I don't know. All of the stigma that comes with, oh, you were adopted. You don't look anything like your folks. You don't look anything like the people around you. You know? So there's this whole idea of abandonment. But I like to see that as, as relinquishment, right? Life is complicated. We have kids, and I mean, Katie and I will be the first to tell you, you have kids, and sometimes you don't mean to, right? But parents that have, like, people that have no means of caring for that child, they, who, we don't know. They may not have wanted to, but there's just no other option, okay? So I, I don't necessarily like to view it as abandonment. Um, this lady right here uh, wrote the, a book called The Spirit of Adoption, and she calls it relinquishment. They relinquish their right to, to parent, their ability to forfeit it. Sometimes it's for the betterment of the child. Wow. That's some pretty insane love. But we don't view it as that, right? We don't view these kids as that. So uh, just because those immediate warm fuzzies don't come up when you think of adoption, that's okay. Uh, pray about it. Ask the Spirit to work in your heart.
because it's going to take a village. It's going to take a church, a loving, caring, thought-out, discerning church to raise a child. Why? Because adoption is difficult. It's messy, especially with older children, special needs kids, right? I mean, just, just thinking about it, like these older kids, I've got two small kids, a third one on the way. Do I really want a child that struggled with sexual abuse that may sexually harm my children? Like, what kind of love? Is the gospel big enough to overcome that kind of stuff? Do I believe in my heart that the gospel is bigger than that? You know, like, how, how are we processing this kind of stuff? Are we thinking about it? Are we praying over it? The expenses. What if a family were to actually come to Cornerstone and say, we believe the Spirit would light, love a people, would have us to do this, but we just can't afford the upfront costs? Is the church caring for them? Are we taking care of their needs? Practically. I'm not talking about the people that have 14 kids and just want more kids, you know, and we our houses are big enough, so the church needs to build us a bigger I'm not talking about that. Talking about real needs that surround the gospel. So we, last two, we must be careful that we don't ignore the differences between the adoptee and the adopted parents. Like, yo, it is totally okay if your kid looks nothing like you, okay? Because when God adopted me, I didn't look anything like him. And there are days that I still don't look like him. But guess what? Guess what the Spirit's doing? He's daily changing me into the icon, the image of God, right? It's a process. It's okay. Life is not this neat little compartmentalized, I got everything in order, my perfect little. What is a perfect family? Well, according to Jesus, it's give up everything and follow him type of family that's made up of a motley crew. So what a way to make an impact upon the church and the world at large by having just this multicultural, transcultural body of people who believe and live the gospel. What would that look like? Why is our state taking care of these people? Why is the church? So let's not ignore the differences between the two and that it's okay. It's totally cool because God's family looks like that. And you know what? The more diversity that there is, and you'll hear this in organizational business models, the more diversity there is, the stronger the organization So too is the body. If we all had a bunch of ears or all had a bunch of legs and the body of Christ just looked like, you know, something odd, but didn't have all the full members, complex in its vast array, you know, it's much more stronger. It's interesting on, like, Facebook, social media, Instagram, People are more concerned about adopting pets than they are people. Oh, that's like convicting. 
right? Local SBCA and whatever. I mean, just these are human beings. We are human beings. We are the first fruits of the Spirit, Romans 8. So that means there is an essence that we're better than all of creation. God's design. Are we taking care of that? All right. A lady that uh, actually happened to adopt me wrote me this this week, my mom. She said, I asked her these this is some questions, and she said, is there a difference in being adopted? In my heart, I feel none. She feels none. Our children are our children, and for background, my, my folks had three girls, three daughters. They wanted two boys. They adopted us from the uh, an orphanage, Holt International, um, out of Seoul, South Korea, night Christmas Eve, 1980. May 30th, 1998, my 15-year-old brother died of cancer. Short nine-month battle. Uh, really just destroyed his life. You could hardly tell that he was him. You could hardly recognize him after all of the treatments. But he passed away. She said, our children are our children, whether they birthed in our womb or in our hearts. Dad and I are your parents no matter what. Losing a child, biological or adopted, there is no difference. Because God gave us our children to love and give them a family in which they can grow, flourish, and further the gospel in their lives. Right? That's what adoption is about. So you can thank my mom for that quote. Big question. How do I know I'm ready for adoption? Well, I think... As a believer, adoption into Jesus' family has to become a reality for you first. Like, you really have to believe that Jesus, like, loved you in all of your special needs. Right? That's the gospel. I was a kid full of special needs. On July 10th, 1996, I realized my need for a Savior. And I cried out to him, Abba, Father, Daddy, save me. Like, that's the gospel. Your adoption into Jesus' family becomes a reality. Number two, an adoption becomes a paradigm for your life as a Christian. You just, you see that God adopted you with all of your special needs, all of your medical issues, all of your stuff that you brought to him, and he said it, clean slate, new creation. Old is past, same. Like I said at the beginning, adoption's not for everyone, okay? It's not. But every believer should participate. What does that look like? What does that look like for middle-aged, late 50s, kids are out of the house? What does adoption look like for you? Single person, maybe you're divorced, Never, uh, or maybe you've never married. What does adoption look like for you? Uh, families that have five kids, what does adoption look like for you? These are the questions we need to be asking. These are the questions that we need to be dialoguing as a church family. These are the questions that we need to be on our knees. Asking God to, I mean, the need is there, right? We saw the need. Lord, how can, we, how can we love the people around us? 
how can we do this? How can we carry the gospel forth in the life of these people? I love overseas missions. Don't get me wrong. I love missions trips. I love all of this stuff. But what are we doing here? We're taking care of the people that are around us that have really, really deep needs. And what a better way than adoption. I'm not saying adoption is the only way. I'm saying it is a way. And it is a great way. And so for those of you that um, adoption is not an option, that's fine. Don't live in guilt over it. But support those around you that can financially. Support them with your time. Supporting, support them by watching their kids while they attend these eight-week training sessions. That kind of stuff. Um, that's my thoughts. My time's done as far as uh, me speaking. We've got 15 minutes for questions and or a break. Take your pick. Or just thoughts. That's all right. I can chuck quit. I can't pick Rex, but nothing, huh? Okay. Interesting. Jordan, do you have anything? months.
I didn't hit any. Yeah, no, I didn't. My brother struggled with that more early on. I didn't hit any of those issues or difficulties until I was a teenager. Uh, so my entire teen life was rough. <laughs> These questions. Who am I? You know, why was I not wanted? You know, really just a reiteration of that. That's all I heard. It's kind of like a broken record. You know, you're our kid. You know, yes, you look different, but uh, we love you all the, you know, all the same. Um, Just as a teenager, you know, just took some getting used to it and actually believing it. Yeah, my parents were definitely believers, but I would, they did it out of, they wanted the perfect family, you know, nothing, not to knock them or anything, but, I mean, obviously I was going to be perfect, you know, through God's grace and and mercy, you know, through the situation, but by and large, it was, they wanted boys, they didn't want to cry again, they wanted boys, boys are fun. (laughs) (laughs) Let's be honest. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> this is not recorded, is it? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Etch my name out of the will. <laughs> huge, huge. Um, we grew up in a small town community, um, like I said, where we were the only Asian or sometimes Mexican kids, because, you know, <laughs> white rural people can't tell the difference. <laughs> Uh, so, like, and then having three older sisters, you know, who were mean as snakes, like, we were best friends. Like, we fought every day, but we were best friends. So having that, um, the biggest, my biggest struggle was high school, because when he was gone, um, a big part of my identity was gone, because he was my big brother. If anybody picked on me, they picked on him, you know, type thing. Um, always hit those growth spurts before I did, so... You know, as a child, you just idle. If for those of you that have older brothers, you just idolize them. You know, they walk on water. You hate them, but they walk on water. So yeah, it was. It had a profound impact on my I just even want to broaden that a 
of it too. That the child doesn't even have to be adopted for you to insert your life into theirs. Okay? Because let's be honest as parents, we don't know. We don't have all the answers, even though there are kids. Like, that's what's so cool about the, this community is, like, we have a lot of resources. I know Katie goes to you guys, moms, that have walked the road ahead or are going through similar. What do you do? Tips on, you know, how to deal with just a raging three-year-old that just mouthy, you know? Um, so in my experience, it was that. I had a guy that was my dad's age. He's a month older than my dad. Uh, I didn't relate with my dad well in high school because all he did was work. He never did anything fun. This guy did fun stuff with me. Like, he taught me how to fish, how to hunt. He taught me life, um, you know, and... And so, in many ways, Denny Dolash showed me what Jesus was like better than my dad in certain ways. Um, and so, like, I think that that is the body. I'm a better person because, you know, and Denny, you got to know this guy. He got saved late in life. Catholic, nominal Catholic his whole life, could cuss a blue streak. Even after he got saved, he just swore like nobody's business but he loved this little asian kid um in his church and just taught him and loved him and showed him life um and i'm a better person because of that and so i think that's you know what we were talking about of people raising my children i'm not offended at all if any of you discipline my kid because he probably needs it <laughs> um but you know that that's the body of christ in action and we can't put up these walls like they're my kids this is my family you can't you know the body of Christ is bigger than that. And we have to get over these obstacles to, to really do it and see whether they're adopted or not of us inserting our lives into other people for the betterment of them and the family. This is, this is our family, right? This is it. This is how Jesus defines it. call that process, um, the technical term for that process is splitting. They, you know, where you, you kind of, part of it is where you, where you compare the good parents, bad parents type thing, okay, the former. There is some biblical implications of a old life, new life, or, you know, but my recommendation is just to be open, honest, upfront, tell them, I didn't birth you, biologically, physically, naturally. Um, but again, coming back to that, the child of your heart, born in your heart, the whole idea of predestination, foreknowledge of God, before you were even created, God bore you in his heart to be a vessel of mercy. Like, that's mind-blowing. And I think if you relay that to your kids, um, and Again, use the gospel as the platform. Uh, mommy and daddy are the same way. Use the gospel.
um, to explain that, that, yes, you don't look like me, you don't have my genetic traits, all of that, but it's okay because that's not what a family is. This is what a family is. Um, so that would be my I'm excited to see what the Spirit's going to do. Um, when Stacy first asked me about this, I was like, "Like, what do you want me to do? <laughs> like, this topic is huge. Uh, you know, do you want me to give you a sales pitch? Do you want, you know, like, what do you, what do you, what do you want me to do? So he just kind of gave me some pointers as far as, you know, what do you like to see? And so I'm very grateful for this opportunity to talk about this. Uh, very close to my heart, obviously. I, my, my family, we're here to support any of you that would, would go down this road to even become a Christian. And if you have um, whatever we can help you with, we're yours. Audio. So I think we just need more awareness. We need to bring and pick up steam. We need to see this and ask the Spirit and believe that He's better. Because there is a lot of issues. It's not. I'm not. You know. I don't mean to push those out or ignore those. We need to embrace them. But I think when there's issues and chaos in life, it just puts us on our knees, right? It makes us mad. Yes. I've worked with a few of those kids just in, in my past experiences and, and met them and talked with them and prayed with some of these kids. Um, yeah, the, I, I'm, sub yeah, there's a, there's a huge need. There is a huge need, and it, uh, uh, oftentimes, you're right, it comes with a lot of baggage. Just honest, it comes with a lot of baggage. But, um, Again, I think that's why we have to start with our theology. That's what has to drive us. And if we understand that, then this extracurricular, all of the ADHD, all of the um, psychological trauma from sexual abuse, verbal abuse, physical abuse, all of that, um, I think we'll be able to see the gospel clear in light of that. And it, Again, that's why it takes a family. It takes a, a church because it, it, it will be a long road. There's no snow. Kids come from just stories that you read in books and that is just, you know, there's no way that's true. And they live it. They go to bed with it every night in a different home. So my heart was touched, um, and I, I just, I'm excited to see what the Spirit will do. To us. Thanks.